And uh, you noticed this morning we had a couple of our young people here as part of the worship team this morning uh, again, and uh, that's exciting. Uh, we are, as a staff and as tech people, we're juggling a lot of things right now uh, because things are changing, but it's fun, challenging. Uh, Naya is back there on the light board this morning. I think she's done a fantastic job. Uh, enjoyed what she's done back there. Thank you. And uh, we're excited to be, be on that that path that we've talked about of getting our students uh, involved in hands-on ministry in the church, and we'll keep uh, moving towards that, and we have some plans for our children as well, and I'm excited about all of those uh, developments. So I'm glad that you're here this morning. I don't know, um, I don't know what's happening in Alaskan weather. Uh, we were going to bed last night, and Karen was like, well, where's the snow? it was in the forecast, you know. I said, it's not going to snow at all. And I got up this morning and there's like, you know. She was gracious though and didn't point out my flaw, so I appreciate that. <laughs> We're wrapping up this uh, short little series that we've been in on being thankful. Uh, November, you know, the month of thankfulness. I uh, hope that you enjoyed uh, your Thanksgiving. Uh, if you were able to uh, relax and take some time off. If you were working, I hope that wasn't too much of a burden for you and that you found some time in there somewhere uh, to maybe spend some time with friends or family. Uh, we did. It was very quiet. Uh, just hung out with uh, the Fullers and the Bakers and uh, had some fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy because uh, we have decided we're not turkey people. Amen? Amen. Anyone? And I saw another friend of mine on uh, Twitter, his name's Ed Stetzer, he, uh, he posted that they had officially, as a family, decided they're not turkey people. And from now on, it was going to be uh, ribeye steaks for Thanksgiving. And I said, amen. <laughs> Problem is, I can't afford ribeye steaks anymore. <laughs> uh, you remember when you were a kid, I don't know if it was, if it was like this at your house, you know, your mom would take a hamburger and smash it out flat like a hamburger, but put, not put it in a bun and call it a hamburger steak. You remember you hearing that? So deceptive, my parents. <laughs> anyway, still I was thankful. I was thankful for the family. I was thankful for the time. I was thankful for the, the food that we were able to enjoy and a little bit of a nap and played some games around the table. It was nice. And then as I was thinking about the message this morning, I was thinking about our final piece to this series. You know, we've talked about being thankful for suffering. That was the first one that we kicked off. Be thankful for suffering. And if you want to go back to our podcast, you can find it there at c3ak.com. You can go back and find that one. Um, I think it was a valuable message uh, for us to put into perspective sometimes the struggles and the things that happen in our lives and how we, as those who call themselves followers of Christ, should address those and, and approach those and deal with those things sometimes that give us great trouble in our lives. Uh, so I'd encourage you to go back and find that as well. You go back and uh, Pastor Jason talked with us one Sunday about being thankful for the church. Uh, the church uh, with a big C, we call it. That's the church uh, kind of universal around the world, the the brotherhood and sisterhood of believers everywhere who count themselves as followers of Christ. 
And then also being thankful for this church here and what God has been able to do through us and with us and in us and as he continues to work and as we continue to strive towards the future and, and do our best as leaders to, to kind of determine the next step that God is asking us to take. And as you have been so gracious, so many of you, to go with us time and time again to be thankful for that. Last week I spoke with you about, uh, from our perspective, your, your pastor's and leadership's perspective of being thankful for you and who you are, the sacrifices that you make and have made, uh, the work that you've done, the labor that you put in uh, toward the church and towards the kingdom of God, um, just your friendship. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't tell the whole story because it would take too long here, but uh, 20 years ago, when I left the pastorate that I was in then, the full-time ministry position I was in then, I was done with ministry, I was done with Christians, and I was done with church. And here we are 20 years later. But a large part of that is because God has redeemed his calling in me in that time and has placed me and, and all of us together with a group of people that, you know, some of the faces have shifted and, and transformed over the years and some have have gone and others have come in and God bless you for those who have joined us recently and, and are checking out Christ Community Church and who we are and where we're going and bless those who have been and have gone on for all kinds of different reasons. But God placed us in a church, in a community that has really been filled with incredible friendship these last 20 years. It was one of the things that I was kind of missing when I pulled the plug and said I'm done was there was not an authenticity in so many of the relationships around me. And, and this has just been an incredible breath of fresh air for the last 20 years. I, it's amazing to me. And so I'm thankful for you. And then today, I want to I bring us to maybe the most foundational idea, the most critical thing that a believer, I think, should express their thanks for in the context of anything else that they're thankful for or even as a, as a replacement for anything else that they're thankful for. You could just start here. And it's to be thankful for our salvation. Our salvation. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I've got two passages of scripture that I want to share with you. The first one, I'm not going to dig through. I just want to share it with you. And then the, the second one, I'm going to go through and pull out uh, about uh, seven points. I think I had six points the last time. I added one more for this one. But wait, that's six. That's seven. So today's message is holier than the other one because it had the number of the beast as the number of this. Never mind. All right. Okay. <laughs> wait, I actually think about those weird kind of things in my brain. All right. Psalm 118, Psalm 118, verse 19. Now, let me tell you about this passage. If you go back to the first message in this uh, series, actually, and go back a little bit further, and you can find this on the podcast too, you'll find a message called The Most Important Word in the Bible. And it's in Psalm 118, and, you know, it's my opinion. I think it carries a lot of weight. But let me just recap what's happened before we get to verse 19 here. The writer of this psalm has cataloged all the ways in which the people of God have been rescued, saved, lifted up, provided for by God, and then the people of God 
turned around and thumbed their nose at him and said, we still don't really like you all that much. They doubted him. They rebelled against him. They fought with one another. They fought with God. He did everything he could to transform their thinking, and sometimes they still were fighting with God. So much so that at one point, God looks at his guy Moses, who's leading them out of uh, Egypt toward the promised land. In fact, he had taken them to the edge of the promised land and said, you know, all this time I've promised you this incredible place that I'm going to take you to, and it's going to be the place of great uh, blessing and provision, and it'll be all yours, and they get to the edge of it, and even then they go, this is it? And God says, you know what? I think I've had enough. I'm just going to kill them all. That's what he said. So I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses jumps in. Actually, it says in this, in this passage of Scripture that Moses stood in the gap, in the breach, and begged on behalf of the people, and that God relented and said, okay, 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 I won't kill them all. And so he catalogs all of these things, these, these uh, complaints against God and rejection of what God has done and forgetting what God has done. And then there's that word where it says, nevertheless. Even so, in spite of all of those things that they had done, God still loved them and wanted to rescue them. And so then at the end of this, this chapter, the writer comes to this place in verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord and the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And you see that passage in verse 21. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. That's where I want to direct our thoughts to today. That those of us who claim ourselves as followers of Christ, at some time we have called out to the Lord to be rescued. And he's answered us. And he's saved us. Uh, saved us from what? Saved us from a life without purpose. Or more specifically, maybe a life without eternal purpose. Because anyone can do good things, right? And that's, and that's good. There's, in fact, that's one of my points. There's nothing wrong with doing good things, no matter who you are. Whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, doing good things is a good thing. But we believe, as we study the scriptures and learn about who God is, that he appoints us for good works and good purposes on this earth that have eternal consequence. And so if we're living in that purpose, the good works that we're doing have eternal importance. And it elevates the purpose of our life. Because it's not just about this moment. It may be about this moment, but it's not only about this moment. It could be about something much more. And uh, think of it this way. Uh, think about your life, uh, those who have helped you, those who have uh, uh, assisted you in maybe getting to where you are, or someone who's done a great thing for you in your life. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm thinking about Christopher right now because we're going down to see him 
in, on Friday down at Ellensburg, Washington. We're going down to see his first college show. He's in a Broadway review show. We're very excited. Uh, he tells me it's going to be a good show, and I say, I'll be the judge of that. Um, and he's, he's like, I know, Dad. <laughs> but I think, it, I think it will be a great show. I'm excited. Uh, it'll be the first show that Karen and I have ever seen of Christopher's that we know nothing about. Because usually we're involved in the process somewhere. Uh, rehearsals or, or tech work or directing or something like that. And we're usually very, you know, intimately involved in what's happening. And so uh, Karen and I have made an agreement that we're going to actually, <laughs> don't, we're going to see the show three times. <laughs> Look, we're going to be there. What else are we there for? <laughs> right? Um, but the first show we go to, we've made a pact now that we're not even going to look at the program. I, I don't want to know what's happening. I just want the whole thing to roll out as a surprise. Right? And I'm excited about that. And then that's tempered sometimes with um, Karen has sent... I don't know how many care packages filled with, you know, cookies and snacks and she's written letters and all these kinds of things. Um, Christopher's friend, who was a girl, has also sent him a few things. And she gets letters back. <laughs> she even got a package. Now look, I'm the one that took out the loan for the school. <laughs> Are you feeling me? I know some of you are feeling me. And some of you are thinking, I don't see the problem. I know who you are. But you know, sometimes it does well to be thankful, amen, to those who have provided for you. I'm going to send him this podcast later this week. Probably not. Um, if he was a terrible kid, it would be a different thing, but he's pretty good. But you know, you get what I mean, right? People go out of their way or people do things for you. People are kind. Uh, people help you through a tough spot. And it's, I can remember when I was a kid, you know, receiving gifts and things like that. I felt awkward saying thank you. It's, it's not a natural state of being, I don't think. Uh, even uh, when I began to, to sing a lot more and to perform, uh, whether it was uh, in the context of a worship service like this or uh, in shows or to do public shows with, um, as a soloist or with a band or things like that, and people, people would say, man, that was really great. It, it felt awkward to say thank you. But I found that as I practiced it more, it got easier to do. And the reason I think that it was awkward was because I was, I was suspect of my own motivations in saying thank you. And if I could get to the place where I genuinely felt that someone uh, helping me or giving to me, whether it's stuff or time or intellect or insight, advice, that I had, I had to grow to the place that I actually appreciated the effort that they made, the time that they took, the energy that they spent. 
as opposed to receiving the praise or the gift or the energy as if it's something I deserved. See, the awkwardness for me of saying thank you was because there was a part of me that felt like, well, yeah, I did great. Of course I did. You should say thank you. So then for me to say thank you back, I was like, well, why would I, I, I deserve that, right? And so I had to grow and mature to the place where I realized uh, it's a shocking thing that the world didn't revolve around me. I know, I was as surprised as you are. <laughs> it's a, look, it's a condition we all suffer from uh, to some degree or another and at different times in our lives and it doesn't always permanently go away. I mean, all you have to do is walk around in the mall and you'll find uh, people, and maybe you are people, who think everything that's happening is revolving around you. When in reality, if we were living in a state of thankfulness, we would, we would look at that, uh, that poor soul at the, the sunglasses kiosk. And we'd see them for the energy and the time that they're giving, whether we want to partake of that or not. And we would just be thankful for them as a person, as a human being. And then if we take that, look, this is one of those things where you've got to really be willing to turn the lens and the light on yourself. And, and I say this all the time. I've said it the last two weeks. Where people have said, you know, that message really spoke to me. I said, great, because uh, I'm talking to me. Every t so right now, this message that I'm giving to you, I'm giving this message to me. And if along the way, the Holy Spirit of God brings you into this conversation, I'm so thankful. But I don't know any other way to, to do this teaching, preaching thing. Uh, I, I can't, it's never from a context of me standing up here going, you guys really need to figure this out. It's me. <laughs> Reminds me of a story um, Pat Hadley told uh, one of our founding pastors here at Christ Community. He had gone to a brand new church, and uh, uh, when he'd gotten there, it was a small country church. There were two sisters, uh, elderly sisters, who were in the church, members of the church, and he found out shortly after he got there that they were very angry with one another <laughs> and weren't speaking with one another. And yet here they were in the church, and they were in positions of leadership, and it was very awkward. And so uh, he dealt with it a little bit, tried to speak with them, nothing was happening. Finally, he decided uh, he, had, he had come upon the plan to, to tailor a message on Sunday to them. And it was all about, you know, loving one another and uh, not being cross with one another and, and whatever passages he used. And, and he said, man, I gave it, I gave it everything I had. And then when church was over, his wife looked at him and said, you realize that we're having lunch today at Mrs. So-and-so's house, one of the sisters. He's like, oh, boy. So they go to lunch at one of the sisters' house. They eat a lovely meal together. And he's waiting for that moment where she's gonna say something, and it never comes. He's like, starting to feel a sense of relief. Oh, this is good. So they're getting up, they're putting on their coat, they're putting on their shoes, and she says, oh, by the way, Pastor, about that message this morning. He thought, man, here it comes. He says, yes, ma'am. She says, you really told her, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so it, 
doesn't do any good for me to try and sit here and point fingers at you. It's, I'm telling you this because I struggle with this, and I think maybe you do too. But if we take this idea of thankfulness and, and the struggle with it, and this idea of, of privilege or of uh, that somehow I deserve things that I should be thankful for, if we find ourselves or if we find those that we care about in a place where they also are not thankful for the most fundamental thing that Christians can claim, which is the salvation of God through Christ Jesus, it might be because even just a little bit, although it's usually a little more than a little bit, it's because we think we deserve it a little bit. Let that sink in for just a moment. This passage is going to speak to that, but I want, I want to put that in your, your brain up front here. And maybe let that rattle around in there. Because ultimately the goal of these, these messages, this time, this thing that the Bible calls foolishness of preaching... The goal is for us, collectively and individually, to maybe be transformed a little bit more in our thinking and the way in which we engage with God in our relationship with him. And so, uh, be vulnerable to yourself. You don't have to be vulnerable to anybody else right now. Turn that lens inward and ask yourself the question, do I live in such a way that reflects I'm thankful for my salvation? And if I have areas where I'm not, a couple of options is because I'm not really a follower of Christ. I'm just calling myself a follower of Christ, but I'm not really doing the things he wants me to do. That's possible. It happens. Is it that I am a follower, but I, I have this little leftover thing that sort of says, well, you know, but I'm, I'm a pretty good person. So... I mean, I, I thank you for saving me, God, but I really kind of deserved it anyway. And let God speak to us about that. All right, so here's the text for today. Seven points. Titus 3, Titus 3, verses 1 through 11. Titus is a little tiny book way over there in the New Testament. And if you'd like to turn there, you can. And so he starts out here. In verse 1, he says, uh, as he's writing to, this, uh, to Titus and the people that Titus is working with, he says, remind them, remind those people, the believers, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And that first part, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, really just means be good people. Don't be lawbreakers. Uh, don't be those who stir up trouble just to stir up trouble. Now, we have to separate that from, um, there, there are caveats to these kinds of things. One caveat to this sort of thing right here is um, we're not permitted 
as those who stand up for and represent righteousness, we're not permitted to turn a blind eye to, to unrighteousness or those who, uh, let's say, the defenseless who are being harmed even by law. Right? We, we, don't, we don't get an out for that. We don't, have, we don't get to say, oh, well, it's legal. That bad thing that's happening over there, it's legal. I can't do anything about it. Got to obey the authorities. There, there are laws in Scripture that supersede that. There's actually two of them. Are you with me? The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and all your strength. And the second greatest commandment is very much like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So everything comes through that lens, right? So don't, don't get in the weeds there, and, and a lot of people do. Don't get in the weeds there. It just means be good people. Be good citizens. To the extent that you're able, unless the law is attempting to compel you to do something that is unrighteous. In that case, you don't get an out for that. You have to stand for what's right. All right, so do these things, be good people, to be ready for every good work. So point number one, the first thing it tells me, there's no harm in just being good. There's no reason not to just be good people. I think most of us would desire that. Now, the warning in that, there is a little bit of a warning in that, is, uh, in fact, uh, back to Christopher, he had gone to a, a church that is a church similar to us, um, part of a uh, similar denomination to us, and he'd gone there for a baptism service, and uh, he texted me after, and he said, man, that felt really culty <laughs> when he was there. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And he said it was so much conversation about if you don't do A, then you're not a Christian, and if you don't do B, then you're not a Christian. If you don't do C, you're not a And if you do D, you're a Christian. If you do E, uh, you're not a Christian. If you, I mean, it was... Just, it was just this long list of proofs that if you behave in a certain way, then you must be a Christian. And if you don't behave in a certain way, then you can't be a Christian. And it was many of the things that would come to your mind that, that are very superficial to a life of righteousness. Now, they might be things that those of us who are Christians, we look at and we say, I don't want to be part of that because that associates me with unrighteousness. But there are a lot of things in that list that are really gray. And I don't mean just for us, but I mean in the whole historical context of Christianity, they're gray. You know, and are we going to reject entire groups of people like our Lutheran friends or Catholic friends or Episcopal friends or, or whoever based on those kinds of things? Well, the answer is in some places, the answer is yes. That's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to reject a large part of the Church of Christ on the earth because we we have a, a list of things that we want everyone to check off their behaviors, and if they check off all those behaviors, then they're okay. I said, well, I can understand how that might have felt a little culty to you, because that's not what he's ever been brought up in, uh, in our family or in, in the way that we express our faith. So the warning for that is there's no harm in being good, except that if being good is your measure of how much God loves you, you've got a problem. And it's going to be revealed here in the rest of this text. And not just this text, but many, many texts. So then, uh, no harm in being good. The second part in that very first, first verse, 
to be ready for every good work. Be a good person so that you can be ready for every good work. The best way that good works happen is to be prepared for them. And being prepared for them means be ready. When the opportunity arises to do a good thing, be ready to do it. Uh, there's another passage that we've used here quite often. It says um, that we were prepared, uh, that we have been called to God because from before the foundation of the universe, he prepared good works for us to do. So be prepared on your side to do them. And then he lists some ideas of here's some good works you can actually do. Uh, don't speak evil of people. Don't quarrel. Be gentle. Show courtesy to all people. He's like, here, here's some easy things right here. Some of them are easier than others. But if, you, if you're wondering, uh, what are some good things that I can do that I could plug into right, right off the bat, here, here's a few. Don't talk bad about people. Don't fight with people. Be gentle with one another. Be kind towards everyone. And then, verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. And this is where I think the, the struggle of being thankful happens for us in relationship to being thankful for our salvation. And man, am I so guilty of this sometimes. And it's that I'm out there in the world, you know, whatever it is, you know, you can always use the, the go-to examples, you know, driving down the highway, you're in traffic, somebody cuts you off, right? That's the thing... That, that same metaphor is being used across the country in churches today about people being angry with one another. But I don't really deal with, I don't really have that a whole lot anymore. I've sort of worked that out. But I still prejudge people by the way they look sometimes. What part of town I'm in. Um, I'm really bad about judging people uh, by the way they speak because speaking is such a big deal for me. Vocabulary is such a big deal for me. And I have to remind myself to not be that guy. I could, I could easily judge people and be harsh towards people because they don't understand God the way that I think I understand God. They have a completely different view of who God is. They may have a view that says there is no God. And I could be one who then would judge them, minimize them, set them aside, ridicule them, have harsh words, quarrel with them, be rough instead of gentle. I could do that, but I don't want to be that guy. I want to be this guy that it's talking about in here. And one of the ways that I do that is I remember that I used to be like those people. I used to be one who didn't have understanding. 
I used to be one who was a jerk to people. I used to be one who wasn't necessarily kind. I used to be one who didn't consider what other people thought, what other people believed. The journey that they were on of trying to figure out their purpose in this life. And yet I'm also one that through the goodness and loving kindness of Jesus Christ have been transformed into someone else. Been transformed into who God wants me to be, not in who I'm creating myself to be. I hope. I'm trying. I'm still transforming. But he says, remember that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We should be reminded to look at the world around us, the people around us, through the lens of remembering our own need for salvation and not thinking less of them because they have not felt that need or seen that need or God has not reached out to them yet, but instead be brokenhearted for them. Desire that for them. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And this is the part where it comes back to the thing I mentioned at the beginning about deserving our salvation. This passage is like so many others. There's really no room at all anywhere in scripture for any relationship that's rooted in Christ to be based on how good you are. Uh, there are several places that tell us you can't be good enough, that, that our best are like filthy rags. And so, any, look, any religion, any denomination, any teaching that spurs you on to good deeds because that's how you find favor with God is in error. And I don't care if the name on the building is Baptist or Lutheran or Mormon or Jehovah's Witnesses or Catholic or whatever. I don't care who they are. If the teaching is that you have to be good to be saved, it's an error. Because this passage and many others tell us very explicitly that we are not redeemed by God. We don't, we don't win a relationship with the creator of the universe by doing good things. We win it because he asks us to love him because he loved us first. Ultimately, what does God want? He wants us to know that he loves us and he wants us to love him back. 
And he offers that not in response to us being good people and doing all the right things. He offers it, as it says here, according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, this is telling us, like other passages, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, the Bible says. It says that when this happens, when Jesus shows up and we receive that gift of salvation from him, it is not because we've been so good. It's because he's merciful and he loves us. And if we receive it, there is this renewal and regeneration, there's this new creation that springs up from within us. And we become daughters, sons of God. This Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior and he doubles down on the idea that it's not by works. He says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what did he say? We're not saved by works. We're saved by God's mercy. And we're justified, which means to be made right. To be made righteous before God. We're made right by his grace. What is grace? Grace is favor that we can't earn. Unmerited favor. Grace. He gives it. And why does he give it? He gives it that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs, family, sons and daughters, children of God who now have as our hope and as our reward and, and, and as our, uh, our gift from the Father, eternal life, life that goes on forever in the presence of God. And then he says this final thing. He says, listen, this saying is trustworthy. He's saying, everything I just said to you, man, this is like it. And I want you to insist on these things. Insist on being good people. Insist on not quarreling, about being kind to one another, about avoiding, avoiding uh, quarrels. Uh, insist on living your life as one who has been redeemed by the grace of God, not because you're better than anyone else. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now you can get, it's interesting that at the very beginning of this and the very end of this, if you teach this poorly, you can get right back into the weeds. You go, oh look, see, good works, good works. Hey, I'm doing good works, that's awesome. But what is the last phrase say there? Your good works are excellent and profitable for people. The context of that right there indicates that he doesn't mean that it's excellent and profitable for you. 
because you and me doing good works isn't about us getting better stuff. The good works that we do of being kind and courteous and not quarreling and being gentle with one another, those are blessings that we give to the people around us as reflections of what God has done in us. And so what could I say to you today as a follower of Christ? How do you express your thanks? Be thankful. Thanksgiving for salvation. How do you express that beyond saying thank you, which is good, right? We should say thank you. I, I pray it here all the time. Thank you for every good and perfect thing that you've given to us. Yes, thank you. But I love St. Francis of Assisi who says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Because the way that we can really be thankful is to be these people who are good people, who love their neighbors as themselves, who aren't quarrelsome, who aren't divisive, who are kind to one another, gentle. Living their life in that way and doing good works that are good for people. People. Live a life that says, I'm thankful for my salvation. Would you stand for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, remind us as much as possible in the moments of our day. Remind me to not be dismissive of the grace that you have given to me. Or to strive to live a life that is indeed holy, not because, not because I'm afraid you'll love me less if I don't. But Lord, as a way to say thank you for all that you've done for me. I want to take just a moment here. It won't take long. Now, let's every head bowed, every eye closed. We don't do this every week, but once in a while, I feel like I should. And so I'm going to this morning because I feel like that's what the Lord's telling me. But this morning, there might be someone here who's heard this message and knows now internally, knows inside themselves that they're living a life that is not thankful to God because they've actually been trying to live a life where they're trying to be good enough for God. And they realize now that they'll never be good enough but instead that God offers his salvation as a gift because he's merciful, because he loves you. And you've been having a life that wasn't really purposeful. And you've been having what you felt was a relationship with God that was very unsatisfying and you're ready for something different.
and you're ready to receive his merciful gift of salvation. Nobody else is looking around. It's just you and me. But if that's you this morning, I just want you to lift your hand up so I can see you and pray for you. Is there anyone? Amen. Thank you. There's one. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. I see you. John 3.16, you've probably heard it. It's my favorite verse in the Bible. It has the whole gospel in it right in one beautiful statement. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So this morning, if you're seeking that real relationship with God through Christ, I must ask you internally, Pray right now, speak to God in your spirit, reach out to him and say, I believe, I receive your gift of salvation. Let your spirit live in me and right now begin to transform me from the inside out to be who you want me to be, and I will live for you here on earth and for eternity in heaven. Save me with your mercy because I cannot save myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, uh, I would love for you to come and chat with me when we're finished. Just come down here and find me. I'll be wandering around talking to people, but I'd love to talk with you. And if you have questions, maybe you, you didn't pray or you thought about it, but you're not sure, come and talk to me, and we'll set up a time to, to get together and talk, and I'll, I'll talk with you more about a relationship with Christ, all right? But... Uh, I've enjoyed being here with you today. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, if you'll be seated for just a moment.